Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. Welcome to Series 3 of the Tim Hill Podcast. In the last two series, I've told you about my life. I've met many interesting people along the way who have become my friends and what they all have in common is they have fascinating stories of their own which they are happy to share with you now. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Nancy. Nancy's going to tell us where and when she was born and then she's going to describe what it was like where she grew up the school she went to, and the education that she received. So, Nancy, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. No, you're your absolute pleasure. So, <laughs> we can kick off then. Um, where were you born? We won't ask when you were born because you're a lady. So, we'll... <laughs> well, I'm happy to share that. Uh, I was born in Denver, Colorado, in the U.S., 65 years ago, and um, a pretty uh, standard upbringing with the exception of my parents were, well, my father was an alcoholic, uh, very high functioning. My mother drank heavily, also very high functioning. Were they in the British British military? (laughs) No, they weren't. How did they learn that skill then to be functioning? Oh, well, you know, my, well, my father uh, comes from Scottish descent and my mother comes from Irish descent. Oh, that so explains, they came by it pretty that naturally. That explains and, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that explains a lot. Yes. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun when I was growing up. I learned how to water ski and figure skate and snow ski. And I also learned how to walk on eggshells because when you're living in an alcoholic household, you learn to tiptoe around and make sure that you don't upset the apple cart. So um, there was a lot of fun and there was a lot of um, trauma, Mm. actually. So it um, it wasn't the ordinary... um, wasn't a happy family bringing up then. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a typical happy happy family. Mm. No. Um, you know there were challenges, as I think there are with all families. But when you have uh, drugs or alcohol um, involved, I think it really it it definitely affects the dynamic and the um, level of yeah, it does. It, it it does put challenges uh, into the mix. It, that's for sure. Definitely threw challenges at me. Yeah. So, what was the area like in Denver where you grew up? Well, Denver used to be just a really neat town. It has grown by leaps and bounds um, since I was born, and um, now it's a very um, crowded (laughs) city um but it's you know there's a lot of a lot of people 
do a lot of outdoor activities. You know, being in Colorado, we're not too far from the mountains. And so, um, you know, as I said, I grew up, uh, I learned how to snow ski when I was, you know, 12 or 13, something mm -hmm. like that. And so I did that for, you know, quite a few years. And, you know, it, it, it's a, it's an environment where it promotes outdoor activity. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents weren't heavy into that. You know, we didn't, I didn't grow up camping or, mm -hmm. um, you know, doing a lot of outdoor activity because of course there was their drinking that needed to take place at the same time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it kind of limited how much, uh, nature we really yeah. um embraced so um, so was it through school that you you, you did your, your main your your main activities of skiing and, and outdoors stuff uh well not really no i didn't uh i didn't have i wasn't on any team sports until i got into high school i was on a gymnastics team when i was in high school and um, but all my skiing and ice skating took place on the weekends. Um, my skating took place um, sole, you know, all by myself, pretty much. And skiing took place either with friends or with my with my parents, mm. who you know weren't drinking while they were skiing, but you know afterwards. So, <laughs> well, go have a little bit of that price ski, I suppose. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And, and, absolutely. And, then, and it's not. It's, <laughs> It's knowing when to stop the upright ski is the problem, I guess. That's exactly right. So my schooling was just pretty typical public education uh, schooling. And then I uh, went to college or university, as I think you guys say over there, yeah. um, for um, a f one semester and then dropped out to get married. So All right. <laughs> I, Let's, let's, let's just wind you back just a little bit. Uh, your yep. um, did you did you have a middle school or or was it um, mm -hmm. junior, junior high? Yep. Which, which uh, did you have? I did middle school. We here at the at the time that I was growing up, we did elementary school, and that was from first grade to sixth grade and then middle school was from seventh eighth and ninth grade and then high school was 10th and 11th and 12th and so I went all the way through um in public school three different schools well actually four because I went to two different high schools mm. um they changed boundary lines and so my senior year in high school I went to a different school so um but I met you know I've still got friends from my high school years and, and actually one of my friends I met in first grade. So All right. I've got a lot of friends, you know, that date back to elementary school. So what was your elementary school like? Was it, was, what, what were the teachers like at the time? Were they, were they strict? Were they, uh, were they fairly easy going? Were they dynamic? Were they, they terrible? What sort of teachers did you have? Uh, well, let's see. Um, I loved my first grade teacher. She was wonderful, um, very friendly and nurturing and compassionate. Um, I mean, I liked I liked school a lot, and I liked all my teachers, really, for the most part. Um, 
you know, there was a great science teacher in, in the fifth and sixth grade that I really liked. But in middle school, you know, I don't remember any of the teachers being um, great or horrible. They were pretty middle of the road. And uh, high school, same thing. I mean, I there weren't too many that I was really crazy about and, and or any that I was um, that I didn't really like. So it was pretty, pretty benign. Mm. I, I look back and I regret not having applied myself more. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I was a good student. Yeah. I was, you know, I wasn't a straight A student, but I was a, you know, a solid, solid B student. And you know, with a few A's thrown in here and there. So uh, I, I, I was, it was a good experience. I mean, you know, I was a solid D student, me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and that's when I wasn't getting E's. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> did, did you have a, a, a particular um, study that you really enjoyed? What was your, your best subject? Uh, hmm. that's a good question. Um, oh, no, by the time I was in, by the time I was in high school, I really liked the, um, social sciences, probably the psychology. We started dipping into that a little bit and I liked that a lot. Um, to the point where when I did go to college, I wanted to major in psychology and minor in, in, uh, social work, social sciences. So um, my thought was that I was going to be a psychologist, which isn't too far off the mark from where I, what I'm at doing now, but, um, but it, uh, you know, I didn't pursue it. So. Okay. So you graduated high school. Did, I did. Did you, did you have a prom? There was a prom. I was not, I did not go to prom. So I wasn't too terribly um, popular with the boys. So um, I didn't go to prom any of my years in high school. Um, You know, that just wasn't part of my experience. Did you feel as though you missed out on it at all? Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm. Sure. Yep. All my friends were going and I wasn't. So, yeah, that was hard. Mm. So that, that must, you must have been in the minority then if you, if you didn't manage to get to the prom. Mm, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people at, at that point were kind of um, scoffing at prom. I know a lot of my friends went to prom because they were um, nominated for prom queen or whatever so they had to go they didn't really want to go um but so i don't know if i was in the minority or or the majority to be honest with you okay well at least it saved you a few quid on a new dress and all the rest of it (laughs) and a a limousine and and everything i'll see now it all works over there (laughs) (laughs) yep so saved a lot of money so moving on then, you you went to university or college, 
So mm-hmm. where did you go for that? Um, I went to a small school um, in southwestern Colorado um, in the town of Gunnison, which is a very small town. And um, it was, um, I wasn't there very long. Uh, I met my soon-to-be husband two weeks before I left for college and um, went to college. He he um, helped me move move in there. And while he was there that weekend, he asked me to marry him. And shockingly and surprisingly, I said, and and actually probably not all that surprising, I said, yes, looking, you know, now if you correlate the high school experience of not being invited to prom, mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then some nice guy asking you to marry him, I took him up on the offer thinking that that was the only time I would get one. Mm. And so uh, my college experience was um, he visited every weekend and I never experienced the college life because he was always around. And, um, you know, it was, it was unfortunate. It was really unfortunate that I, um, had the low self-esteem that I did at the time that uh, created that environment within myself. And I, you know, I had that little voice in the back of my head saying, this is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I didn't listen to it. Um, because I was, yeah, because I was, you know, just, so uh convinced that that was you know the right thing to do was to um throw in with him and and that was going to be my lot in life and um yeah it was you know i i regret it and don't at the same Mm. time it's Um, one of those situations where I've learned a lot since then. And now I know why I did what I did. Uh, At the time it was just, it was. It was a thing to do at the time, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah. it was. And it was just the fact that I didn't believe in myself and I didn't think I had any other choice really. Mm. You know, I didn't believe in the choices that, really were at my disposal and yeah. you know it's just it was a mind game for me so how long did you last at uh, college then only one semester so from september to december all right so you didn't manage to get enough points to to sort of do anything else with it. oh no 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 and i was not doing well in my studies anyway so i was on probation mm. and um because I wasn't, you know, yeah. I wasn't, in, I wasn't interested in school at that point. Then yeah. I, he was the only thing that was on my mind, which was sad. So, so I'm, I'm making an assumption that you got married then fairly soon after. I, I, I did get married the following August. 
and uh, we lasted a, uh, about a year and a half. And by the time I turned 21, I was divorced. And, um, you know, so that, yeah. uh, you know, was, you know, I got, I was divorced before the rest of my friends graduated from college. Yeah. So did you have any kids in tow? No, I didn't. That's fortunate then. Yes, it is. Very. So what did you do next then? Well, I uh, went back to the to the store that I worked at before I when I was in high school and before I went to college. And then I worked in the mortgage business and then I got a job in the oil and gas industry and I worked there um, in the industry for many years off and on um, really until uh, until 2019. Oh, so wow. I worked I worked in the industry and then got laid off for the umpteenth time in uh, let's see 1996 and trained to be, um, went to school to become an interior designer. And I did that for, gosh, another 12 years, I believe, something like that, 16 years. And then went back to oil and gas because the bottom fell out of the interior design business. And let's, let's, so. let's just explore the, uh, the oil and gas. How did you get into that in the first place? And what were you doing in it? Well, I started out as a receptionist and I did that with this company for, I don't know, a year or so. And then I moved into the land department and I learned how to be a lease analyst. And I did, um, I did that type of work, land administration for, uh, many years. And so what, at what's the, involved in that? Land analysis. Is, um, it, is that something like, I mean, you, you go out uh, and, and you dig up a bit of dirt and you analyze it? Or is it? No, no, I, I analyze the contracts. So the, the oil and gas leases that were, were obtained in order to drill um, from the landowners, then I, you know, read all the clauses in the in the contracts and made sure that we adhered to all the all the requirements that we needed to adhere to made the payments that needed to be made paid that sort of thing all right so very dry was, <laughs> was it one of the big conglomerates or or was it a, a smaller price no i worked for mostly small companies um uh really Quite small, comparatively. I I never worked for any of the big um, Exxon or, you know, or BP or Shell. Yeah, I never worked for any of the big companies. So, so these these, were, these small companies were they were they just sort of drilling outfits that were explore exploring? Most of them, yeah, were exploration and development yeah. companies. So once once they they sort of hit the old uh, Texas T, the old uh, the, the the gold there, they yep. they um, they gave it over to a, a big company to 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 continue the the mining of no no uh, once we uh, you know once they struck uh, oil 
struck oil, so to speak. Yeah, then we, you know, they were exploration and development. So they always were producers and, um, you know, and then we'd pay royalties on the oil that that was discovered and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we didn't process the oil. We um, turned it over to someone else to process, but we maintained the leases, which is what, what I was um, doing. So, so in effect, you could have possibly um, done the clam pits. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't the landowner, so no. <laughs> but I, I was the guy that was paying the clam pits. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, where were they going from? Uh, the old Texas tea and and uh, <laughs> Jed. <laughs> yep. So, yep. so you you the company would find uh, somewhere that they wanted to go and drill on, light the clampets bit of land, uh, and you'd sort out the lease to, for for them to go and do that. Is that the, the right? Got it. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, I I I did paperwork. Yeah. So you didn't go out and help the drilling or anything when they got... <laughs> no. So you did that for quite a few years then? I did. Uh, and, and what was there then? Why, why did you go across to interior design? Well, like I said, I got laid off. Um, and the company that I was working at for at the time laid off so many of their staff that we all qualified to be retrained in a different industry by the state of Colorado, um, the the oil and gas industry was taking a very steep decline at the time. And so there were a lot of companies that were laying off a lot of people. And so there was a huge influx of folks hitting the unemployment, you know, tickers. So they knew that it was going to be more advantageous to retrain all of us than it would be to pay unemployment for, you know, to the extent that they would have to. And so I was, I decided to uh, go to school to become an interior designer. And I ended up being a, a kitchen and bath designer. Oh, right. So, so did you have an interest in that to start with? Oh, I did. Yeah, it was very interesting to me. I always loved, you know, you did all your Looking your at, own decorating and yeah. stuff like that to start with, yeah. was it? Yeah. So I was, you know, I think I had a talent for it to begin with. I just it never occurred to me to do it professionally until I had the opportunity to be trained mm. um, with some, you know someone else was paying for it, so it was lovely yeah. to have that opportunity, and it was an incredible opportunity to learn something new. Uh, and they obviously paid you at the same time to do it, I guess. I did, I was able to collect unemployment so that I could live. I had the, you know, I got a part-time job yeah. and as I was going through school and then um, was hired uh, even before I graduated with a large architectural firm. So how, how long was the, the course then to, to learn how to be? It was, I was in school for two years. Crikey. So, yeah. so you know a bit about sort of... <laughs> I know a bit about it. How yeah. to design a bathroom? Yep, I do. Does, does that come down <laughs> to where all the plumbing is running? And, it does. Yeah, and, we learn all about that and what 
what uh yep very important the different materials so, that are used in it and you say you did exactly kitchens right. as well yep i did i mean another thing or two about having kitchens done i mean we moved where we are now about four years ago and it took them a year to to redo the house every single wall yeah. and ceiling and floor had, had all been redone um so we had the chimney taken out. We yeah. had so much work done on this place. You wouldn't believe. Yeah. We're nearly there. Last yeah. last bits of garden to finish off. We just got a little bit of garden, awesome. garden that needs a little bit of landscaping, yeah. and it's done. And then we can yep. we can have a big party and enjoy it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, there's a a comic that I have on my refrigerator that says, you know, you, you can either enter the gates of hell or you can remodel your house it's kind of a toss-up yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> it can be a very painful experience or you know if you have a good designer and a good contractor then yeah. hopefully um it can be reasonably painless but it's it's a it's a disruption like people have yeah it, never it's the disruption um, that 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 was the the worst i yeah. think because it because it yeah. dragged on over a year, and there was there was an awful lot of reconstruction work that needed doing, especially when they, oh, they yeah. took the chimney yeah. out and they had to strengthen the, the roof. That's beams huge. And, that's a, yeah, that's uh, a that's a big job. But we had that's some we job. had some really good guys working on it, so it, it wasn't too bad. We we right. were able to go away for for about four months during the during the period. That's really nice. Yeah, when you can yeah. leave the premises and not be living through it. Yeah. Is, uh, so that, is really advantageous. Definitely. <laughs> and I, I would encourage anybody, if they're having it done, go away somewhere. <laughs> Let them get on with it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. So you, you, you're you there, you're designing people's bathrooms. You, you, before you left college, you got an offer of a job with a big company. So how, was that through the, through the course? Were they looking for people? Um, well, a little bit, uh, you know, this company was looking for, um, some people, they were, um, it, I was offered an internship with them and, but it was a, you know, it was a full-time internship. Well, I guess it started out kind of part-time really, because I was still in school, but it was right at the tail end. And, um, I I thought it was going well, going along fairly well, except that it was very stressful. And um, it turned out that they ended up letting me go uh, because I couldn't. Um, I wasn't meeting their expectations, uh -huh. and that came as a surprise because they had just given me a bonus the week before. So I was <laughs> a little taken aback. Yeah. <laughs> Give you a bonus. Why give someone a bonus respect. if you're going to fire them next week? Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a little odd, um, and uh, so I was let go from there. I went back to oil and gas for about six months to lick my wounds, and then jumped back into kitchen and bath design as a as a design tech. So uh, for yourself or for another company? No, I work for a small kitchen and bath. Um, design firm, uh, very small mom and pop shop. And um, 
worked for them for a year. And then I moved to another um, larger company, but still fairly small and worked for them for a year and then went to another company that was kind of the cream of the crop in Denver. And I was with them for five years and then I struck out on my own. So what made you go out on your own then? Well, I wanted to actually do the design work. I had been a design assistant up until that point. So I was doing all the drawings and the um, ordering of the appliances and cabinetry and specifying and all that stuff. And I wanted to, I wanted to do the design work. And in order to do that, I had to leave that company, which was very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I really enjoyed the people that I was working with, but they, I was really good at what I was doing and they didn't want me to, uh, mm. go to the next step. They wanted to keep me where I was. So I decided to strike out on my own and I did that for a few years, um, until kind of the bottom fell out of, out of the interior design. Mm. The, I was working with a lot of custom builders and. Um, the economy kind of went south. That was in 2010, yeah. 2009, 2010. Eight, eight nine, ten was, was a, a few tough years. Yeah. Mm. So I had to go get a real job and I went back to oil and gas. Mm. So. so going back to oil and gas then, <laughs> who, what, what did you do that that, that time? Well, I went back to the same type of work. I was a lease analyst. Um, and the year before, I had um, quit drinking. So that was a huge part of my life. I followed in my parents' footsteps. Um, and when my father committed suicide in 2007, my drinking escalated and... Um, and then in 2009, I attempted suicide myself and as a result, quit drinking and a year later then went back into oil and gas um, to, you know, get back on my feet sort of thing. So um, I went back doing the work that I was um, good at. Good at, yeah. Didn't, you know, and, and at, I, at the time I loved it. Um, I was, it was challenging again. I was, you know, I was very interested in it and I was incredibly grateful to have been given the opportunity that I received. Mm. Um, and I stayed, I was with them for nine years. Mm. So what was the, 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 the catalyst that, that encouraged you to stop drinking? Well, I tried to kill myself mm -hmm. and uh, clearly it didn't work. So I knew clearly it didn't so work. So it was rubbish at trying it, to kill it, yourself. Yep. It scared me sober. And that was the last time I drank. And that was 13 years ago. Wow. So how did you, how did you get on not drinking? Did you, did you just go cold turkey or did you go into a... I did go to cold turkey. I went through a 12 step program. And, um, I did that, you know, every day for over a year. And then, uh, 
went to, you know, maybe a couple times a week, three times a week, depending on how often I could go to the to, you know, I cut back to once a week for, you know, until uh, 20, 2019, 2020, early 2020. Hmm. So. So what was that with Alcoholics Anonymous, somebody like that? Yep. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> it's always, it's always, they saved my life. Yeah. It's always funny yeah. at the end of a, an AA meeting, they say, right, who's coming down the pub then? <laughs> <laughs> see how many attempted yeah no it's not a good idea no, definitely not so um, 2019 what happened yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic well I had uh, the other part I skipped over was in 2015 I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and so as I was going through treatment, my um, perspective on life began to change. I wasn't, I was diagnosed very early stage, which is unusual for ovarian mm -hmm. cancer. And so even though I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't fighting for my life by any stretch. Um, I still had this shift of perspective about what I was doing with my life. And at that point, I wasn't enjoying my job. And my mantra became, I didn't get sober and survive cancer to be miserable. Mm. And so I started, you know, I kind of, I've always been into self-development and, um, you know, really interested in personal development and that sort of thing. And so I dove back into that pool and did a lot of reading and research and decided that um, I was working with a life coach at the time. And, and I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And so I enrolled in life coach training in, in 2017 and 18. And um, then in 2019, I got my, I, um, started training as an equus coach, which means using horses as co-facilitators in life coaching. And that was just fascinating. And I loved that. And so I have um, certifications, both as a life coach and as an equus coach. And right now I'm um, kind of not quite on the home stretch, but getting close to getting my master facilitator's certification as an Equus coach, uh, which will enable me to do workshops and retreats and um, that sort of thing for groups, which will be wonderful. Uh -huh. So tell us a little bit about this Equus, Malaki. So, so you're, using, you're using nags with people to, to help them through tough times. Is that it? That's right. And so my... My focus is helping women change their relationship with alcohol. So I try to utilize my experience and um, everything that I've learned, not only about coaching, but about, you know, how I quit drinking, how I got there to begin with. Mm -hmm. And 
so I can help other women change their relationship with alcohol before they hit rock bottom and have a gun to their head like I did. So it's, um, it's very, you know, it's a passion project for me. It's a, you know, helping shatter the stigma of alcoholism and addiction is very important to me and normalizing not drinking. And Mm. it's, it's so powerful when you can connect and combine the two um, as far as, you know, helping people who are struggling with this particular issue and bringing in horses to help them um, facilitate that. It, it, it's extraordinary. Mm. And I like to say that horses are magic and, and it's just, it's an amazing process. So what sort of horses are you using sort of the, the, the typical Western quarter horse to do this with? Or is there... Well, it, no, it, it doesn't, it, the breed of the horse doesn't matter really. It, it's just that equines horses are very sensitive. They're because they're herd animals and they're prey animals. They're very sensitive to their surroundings and their their intuition is very heightened. And so, what happens with horses is they mirror back to us the energy that we're putting out into the world. And so, they will they can pick up on our energy. And so they, they know if we're not congruent with between our heads and our hearts and our body and our spirit, they know, they know if there's something off, Mm -hmm. right? So they sense that. And when they sense it, they won't, they don't trust it because it feels they can, they know it's off. And so then they're reluctant to connect with us if, if they sense that incongruity. But when we acknowledge our truth, when, when we get honest with ourselves, and it doesn't matter if the honesty is a positive or a negative, it's just acknowledging the, the truth, then our bodies instinctively relax when we are, when we know we're onto something, right? When we know that, yes, I'm afraid of this or whatever it is. But when, when we acknowledge the truth, our body instinctively relaxes and that helps the horse trust us because they can pick up on that energy. And so then they will connect with us more easily. And when they connect with us, it, it happens, you know, in a lot of different ways, but it, and why I call it magic is because it'll, you know, it'll just happen in the most remarkable way. Like, you know, if, if your heart has been broken by somebody and, and you acknowledge that your heart's been broken, you know, frequently the horse will come up and nuzzle your chest, Mm. you know, and, and acknowledge that, that that's where your pain is, is in your chest. And, and, you know, if, if, you know, it's just, it's magic. Mm. And I've never had a client 
not have a big aha when they're working with a horse. It's like, oh my God, I had no idea that that was going to come up, that that was going to come out and that, you know, the horse helped me figure that out. Mm. It, so so how do you go about it? Do, do, do you, you take people down to a stable and, and you show them out there? To use a shovel and yep. a brush to to muck out, uh, and they and they're brushing horses <laughs> down, we, and you know we can do that. That's part of it. Um, if that's an experience that the client wants to have, normally we work in a round pen. It's a it's a you know a sixty foot fenced area where um, the client can can be with the horse. You know, there's just there's a variety mm. of things that you can do. Um, grooming is one of them yeah. that they, you know, that's one of the, the things that they can do. There's any, you can do anything that helps you interact with a horse where you can get honest with yourself. Mm. And that's where that's, you know, basically what it boils down to is you having an authentic experience alongside a horse. Mm. And it's just amazing what will come up for you yeah. when you have that energy alongside of you. So do you have your, your own horses for this or, or do you go down to the local I livery? I, I uh, have a couple of ranches that I work with. And um, so it's, you know, it's very cost effective for me mm. not having to, you know, um, house a horse. <laughs> <laughs> They can be a little on the spendy side, and uh, and so I'm I'm very lucky that I have facilities at my disposal mm. that I can utilize. So you don't want your own Mister Ed then? Well, you know, it's not that I don't want one <laughs> um, or two or three or five or ten, but uh, it's it's not feasible right mm. now. You know, at some point I you know it would be lovely, but um, you know they're all cost a lot of money the buying the horse is the least expensive part of owning absolutely. a horse and that's um, probably the most expensive bit exactly yeah. right they're very expensive to maintain and feed and um and they're it, they're a lot of work yeah. you know it's it's hard work taking care of a horse so um you know right now i'm not at the place where i can can do that with ease mm. so but as, as long as you've got a few ranches where they're, they're happy for you to go down and... Uh, exactly. And, yep, and I, exactly. I, I guess right. it's it's kind of a bit of free help, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have yeah. a good way of, um, of interacting with a horse. Go in that, yep. in that pen with a yeah. shovel. <laughs> yeah, and all of the work is done on the ground. Um, there's no riding involved, so you don't have to have any horse experience in order to, um, you know, experience mm. this. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is a lot of fun, and, and I, it's just... And I, and I guess um, you're in a really good area being in Denver because, I mean, that's, that's proper cowboy country, isn't it? Well... Uh, a little bit, yes, but there are there are a lot of um, ranches around and horse property, yeah. so um, you know. So, 
Do you go onto these dude ranches where they they, they sort of take you out in the Yulu for a, for a few days? Or, <laughs> well, I'd love to do that. I've never done it. I would love that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so does it involve a, a, an awful lot of sort of? You say it's all on the ground. It's all, I guess you, you get involved with a bit of grooming and and how to put a tack on and all the rest of it, or is it? It just literally sort of being around the the horse. Yeah, it's just being around the horse. So, you know, since we don't ride, I don't have to worry about saddling anybody up mm. and, you know, making sure that, you know, they know what they're doing. I, I don't ride much. So, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, uh, freeing, yeah. you know, it, it, there's, there's no structure mm. involved really. So it, it's no. really quite simple and magic. No need for boots and spurs and chaps and a hat then. No, no, <laughs> you need to, you know, close toed shoes are about the only requirement. Yeah. So. <laughs> Make sure you've got steel toe caps on because if I, if I don't have a step on you, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, it would hurt. It does hurt. So. And I've been fortunate. I've never been stepped on. Touch wood. Yeah, don't get too close. <laughs> yep. Exactly right. Uh, and always approach from the front end. That's true. And we, you know, we go over all the safety stuff, you know, before anybody gets in the round pen with a horse. And yeah. so everybody knows where they can stand and where they shouldn't stand and what the consequences are going to be and so on and so forth. So it's, you know, um, I have yet to see anybody get injured and, uh, you know, it happens, I'm sure. Yeah. I've just never been a witness to it. So yeah, just ask a rodeo rider. <laughs> <laughs> totally different, totally different. Uh, yeah. <laughs> totally different scenario, but yes. Yeah. Well, Nancy, you've come an awful long way, haven't you? It's, it's been a journey. That's for sure. And uh, I'm I'm glad to be on this side of all of it so far. And you know I'm I'm finally doing work that I truly love and I feel like is helping people. And um, it's very fulfilling for me. And it's you know I'm of service to others. So it's it's a win-win. So where do you see yourself going in the next five years? Then. Well, that's a good question. I I hope to be conducting um, retreats where um, I get women together for a, a long weekend and help them really dig into whatever challenges are coming their way and have a lot of fun in the process. Um, I work with clients one on one right now, and you know we'll be doing workshops and retreats. Um, a lot more beginning in 2023, but I've got a few things coming up the late summer, early fall. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a really lovely career for the next 10 or 15 years, something like that, hopefully. Brilliant. As long as Brilliant. I can get myself to the, to the ranch or, you know, talk to people online like you and I are talking yeah. today, I'm, I'm good. So so just tell you back slightly, with your ovarian cancer, are you clear of it now? I am. Yep. Seven years clear and um, 
you know, I have no reason to think that anything like that's going to ever happen again. So Thanks. I'm, you know, I've put that in the rear view mirror and yeah. off we go. Just have your regular checkups and uh, touch wood. And yep. Hopefully. Exactly so. right. It's yep. nice all right. I was very, very lucky. Mm. There's an awful lot of people that aren't. And That's exactly right. The, yeah, there's not a lot. The, the key with cancer is catching it early enough to be able to treat yep. it. Yep, uh, exactly right. If you yep. suspect it, get it checked out. That's right. That's right. So, Nancy, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to visit with your audience, and, and it's just been a delight. Brilliant. Thanks for listening and look forward to the next one. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.